This is Dean Cantu. I want to welcome you to the April edition of the Future Insight podcast. We're very fortunate this month to have with us Janine Williams, who is the Human Resource Recruiter for Peoria Public Schools. Welcome to our podcast, Janine. Thank you, Dr. Cantu. Thank you so much for having me today. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Janine's background uh, prior to uh, coming to Peoria Public Schools and, in- and including her current position uh, is directly uh, aligned with uh, Future Institute Research Center and uh, in our uh, focus on college readiness and persistence in that post-secondary transition uh, to uh, to colleges as well as to uh, careers. So uh, if you would, Janine, kind of give us a little bit of a, a background uh, in terms of your experience and your academic preparation and your current position here with Peoria Public Schools. Absolutely, Dr. Cantu. Again, I want to say thank you for having me today. Uh, my background started, uh, I always envisioned myself working in higher education. So directly graduating from Central Michigan University, I became a hall director at the State University of New York, New Paltz. And there I oversaw a residence hall facility um, in higher ed. And then I went over to academic advising. And particularly we work within the educational opportunity program, looking at students in the five boroughs in the state of New York. Uh, We took students who didn't necessarily have the academic preparation to be at the institution. SUNY New Pulse has the second largest program for educational opportunity students, but it has the most successful as far as re, uh, retention and graduation success. So then I went back over to housing, and then after being there for about a um, couple years, my boss said, you've been here for 10 years, Mrs. Williams. Uh, it's time for you to transition. So I went from an institution about 8,000 to an institution about, at the time, close to about 30,000 students. I oversaw all the first-year experiences at Virginia Commonwealth University. And with that being said, I had 2,500 first-year students. Uh, And so one of my biggest projects there was to create an honors college uh, there and so converted hospital over to a student facility to help support the recruitment and retention of students. Then my boss said, hey, Janine, you reached the glass ceiling. It's time for you to go to Smith College. Um, So I became the first African-American dean um, in the student affairs component, charged with working with all students in student affairs. Then I went to an institution and became assistant director of career service and planning. Um, at Saginaw Valley State University. So I can truly say, and then I got out of higher ed to get into K-12. This is my journey. So I got out to fix the pipeline because in higher education, we weren't seeing the student, the caliber of students that we needed to where they can, where we could retain them. We could recruit them, but we were losing students as um, far as not being able to progress towards graduation and for other various factors, but particularly students of uh, to the traditionally underrepresented groups. So I still this say I got in K-12, I started off as a subsecretary, worked my way up to a principal, and I've been in K-12 last 15 years or so as a principal, and I can truly say, Dr. Cantu, I love students from kindergarten to college. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's great. And and I I love how you you call it your journey, and you you recognize that uh, your takeaway from your experience in higher ed led you to K-12 and trying to, as you call it, fix the pipeline. 
um, which I think is, is, is spot on with what we're, we're focused on today across this nation, is trying to fix that pipeline uh, from K-12 transitioning into post-secondary. Uh, uh, with a f- certain focus on college and universities, but also post-secondary uh, can be in uh, in trade schools. Uh, it's also preparing students for careers uh, for the military. So it's it's a there's a lot of breadth there in terms of where students can go from uh, from the from high school uh, and beyond. What did you What did you find? Uh, and particularly, I thought it was is interesting. You said at SUNY New Paltz, you said that they uh, they were somewhat successful in working with education opportunity students. What were some of the things there that they did that you think are still uh, of value today? Absolutely. It's interesting you say this because that has been a discussion uh, in New York within the city schools as well as in the state schools. And and I'm going to say this from a standpoint. What we did, we created a summer program. We brought students up from the the traditional underrepresented uh, groups, uh, the Latino the African-American, the Native American, those um, as well as Asian students. I sell this to say that we provided them with some supplemental experiences. We taught them time management study skills during the summer. Uh, They came up, they got introduction to the campus and uh, life as well as having opportunities to meet with faculty one-on-one and take classes. From there, we, we pre, when they came in, we pre-tested them, Dr. Cantu, just to see where they are and where they could, uh, what classes. As you know, that exam for orientation is really a placement. It doesn't say a student's smart, it's just where they need to be to be successful. So then we post-tested these same students, Dr. Cantu, following the summer program, and then they could place into college-bearing courses. Had we initially looking at our data, they wouldn't have placed into college-bearing courses. What I mean by that is no remedial courses for our listeners out there. So they were able to place into 100-level courses. But we also saw, Dr. Cantu, that they still had some deficits. So if you got placed in the English or math, you had a supplemental educational component to it where you had additional uh, time outside. So if your class was an hour and a half, you had an hour and a half outside of that. Plus, we also gave them a peer tutor and a peer advisor, and then they had an academic advisor through their first year. We we gave all of this support in the summer as well as when they came in. So when I had part of the EOP program, I had 200 students on my caseload. So I needed to work with them. I was also their instructor. I taught the college readiness course, um, becoming a master's student. So it, it built the continuity. So not only was I their academic advisor, I was their instructor, and I can see in helping with time management, critical thinking, how to study. Then they had a peer advisor and a peer mentor. And then, so we met with them on a regular basis. So I sell this to say because now you're dealing with first-generational students, students whose parents had not graduated from high school, had not experienced college. So we had to provide a lot of upfront um, services. We found over time, Dr. Cantu, all of this love we were getting, the sophomores weren't getting as much, and we began to see a dip. So we began to do this for the first and second year. But by the third year and the senior year, they graduated within four years. Some of them have taken five, but we had the highest graduation and retention success as opposed to the general population, and it's still that today. It's a 40-year-old program. 
and works. So I've, I've taken that. So then when I went to Virginia Commonwealth University, I had 2,500 first-year students, the blind leading the blind. <laughs> <laughs> so we needed to help them understand how to survive in college. Again, the same principles. Um, there I created a peer mentor uh, because they need the peer mentor and peer tutoring. So much as educators, we can help students. But it comes down to getting those peers that are successful where they can say, oh, I want to be like so-and-so. This is how they're doing it. And so they don't have to, the blind leading the blind, and they're all making the same mistake. So we created an honors uh, right in the midst of those 2,500 students a college. Right there because it was high tower. They lived in, I had an 18-story building with 2,500 uh, students. So right next adjacent to it, we built an honors college for first-year students only. So we had to create, um, to change the environment to help begin to change the expectation and help these students stay at the institution. I know I said a lot, but again, those same things happening right now in K-12. And I'm gonna say this from a standpoint of being a principal right. and doing professional development. Our teachers have to teach to the test. Those state standards and, and making sure our students are college ready. But what teachers have, a, what I've seen in my professional experience, not being able to teach the critical thinking skills and the time management and the study skills. Those are the things that is going to help students uh, progress and also having a mentor and a support. So if I could say, if I could change what I'm seeing now here in Peoria or the other places is to provide, and some places have done well with this in school districts, where teachers become mentors for those students that we have deemed as at risk. So during our professional learning communities, we've all exchanged information about these same students. But these students need mentors and support. So my previous district in Buena Vista School District back in Michigan, everyone had a caseload of mentors that we mentored along the pro during this way. And so to help them stay focused, and because it's a high need, high poverty, urban school districts, we had to, we had to change our mindset and how we did things. And so I sell this to say, students don't care how much you know until they know how much you care about them. That's where they can open up and begin to meet those expectations that we set for them. Absolutely. That's great. That is great. There's so much that you, you, you brought with you on your life journey um, and are applying now to K-12, which I think is, is, is absolutely incredible. Uh, one of the things I, I'm interested in, too, when you were at Saginaw Valley uh, State, um, uh, you, um, you served in a, in, in a certain role uh, as a, a career advisor, is that what you said? I was assistant director of the career services department. Right. And I always, interesting enough, these same experiences, I oversaw all of the teachers. So uh, helping with their placements, their field placement, and helping do their mock interviews and to find jobs. It's so ironic that you say <laughs> this today. I hadn't even really thought about that in a while. Um, so my role was to create opportunities for our students to get um, internships, co-ops, as well as life experiences um, on their resume before they graduated. Although I had a, the, the College of Education was one of the, the entities I oversaw, but I work with all students in terms of resume, writing, preparing for interviews, et cetera, their success. So in that capacity, you have to create, help students see how their volunteering experiences, how their student involvement, because once students are involved, 
at the higher education level. It no longer becomes Bradley Institution. It becomes, that's my school. Students have to begin to see how they can contribute to the student body and become an asset. Until then, so that's why it's so important that that first year experience, as many hands are on students from all walks of life, so we can retain them. And I don't, and I'm not just talking about the, you know the students that are at risk, but all students. They just because we can see it even from the predominantly white uh, school district or institutions that I've served, their needs are still there. They just may look a little different right. because they are dealing with now again being home away from home. All students deal with that. They get homesickness, and they're now uh, fresh out of water. They have to navigate. Parents are not there. So those are those commonalities that all students face. Absolutely. So we, so in higher ed, as you know, Dr. Cantu, the first 40 days of a semester, as we talk about in higher ed, we have to touch those students, whether they're the traditional students or the non-traditional students, to be able to retain them. And so they can take ownership and see how they can help the institution go further or how they can make this their home away from home. Absolutely. What, what I love in listening to you, Ms. Williams, is that, that what you've taken really has become sort of a formula that you've developed. Uh, and, and you've applied that to uh, your current work with your dissertation. Could you talk a little bit about that, how it sort of is a synthesis of everything, all oh, of your wow. experiences yeah. in one? This is, um, I'm in um, writing now, working on my proposal, and you hit something that I'm so compassionate about. Right now, um, t I'm going to talk about this, the institution. I'll just say institution for... Uh, confidentiality purposes while I'm working on this study, um, but I'm working with an institution in the Midwest, and uh, since the conception of this institution back in 1960, they have not been able to uh, successfully retain students of color. Uh, primary African American, the traditional underrepresented uh, students. So I sell this to say, and there are four feeder high schools that could feed into this particular institution. So right now, I'm helping this institution look at the barriers and the challenges and hear the real voices of African-American males. Uh, the state of Michigan did a study, and they did it documented for the last two decades, 20 years. African-American males have been the lowest achievers in the entire state. And so the question is, how do we remedy it? So the state of Michigan has charged institutions higher, of higher ed as well as school districts um, to come up with some really creative solutions to look at suspensions, look at high needs, look at so it's not the pipeline to prison. How do we begin to have them change this, to change their paradigm? to change the landscape of higher education, how to help them to get into their purpose. So Saginaw Valley said, okay, we need to be more transparent because the demographics is changing. As you've looked at all the data right now, the studies have shown that by 2020, which is next year, that the Hispanic population is going to be the largest ethnic uh, minority in the nation. Right. It's, it's, it's here. Uh, so let's talk about that. And how do we still help the urban youth? And now I'm also speaking for, even though I'm focused on African-American males, that also encompasses our Latino men as well. Absolutely. So one can confer. But right now, that's my dissertation and looking at the barriers and providing ways to help the institution recruit 
and retain, but most importantly, increase the graduation success of African-American males. So we already know that there, the, the, the data is showing, Dr. Cantu, that the graduation rate for students of color are increasing. However, when you look at that, that's a great thing, but institutions are not being able to retain them. So we can get them in, but there are barriers, financial, uh, lack of not being prepared, and not having mentors and that support. Absolutely. So that is my passion. So I want to be able to, to help, even here in Peoria and our public school district, as once I complete this, to serve as a consultant in some capacity to help remedy that and look at our data and how do we support recruiting and retention students of African-American males primarily to post-secondary ed, whether it's even a vocational trade. The goal is to get them in something where they can thrive and they can become, um, change, the, change the story, change the land of our American fabric and our society and take in the rightful places. But we have to, we have to own it, Dr. Cantu. Our institutions got to talk about white privilege in America. We got to own it. We got to talk about it. And we have to talk about it in a way that embraces and celebrates our differences, not as those individuals, those kids. It's not my issue. No, the bottom line is it's, it's, it takes a, the African proverb, you know, it takes a whole village to raise a child. And not just African-American children, not just Latino, but children in general. How do, we, how do we begin to have that open, honest dialogue about the barriers in our uh, recruiting, our policies and procedures, um, what we bring as an institution to the table from all of our walks? And once we get really real and really say this is a focus, I think we can look at this and really begin to move forward. But right now, if you look at Peoria Public School District, we have 50%, 57% African-American. We have 11% Hispanic, and we got a 9% that says two or more races. So you look at that, that's 80% of our student population are students of color. Right. We only have two, from, for lack of a better word, white, white or Caucasian student only represent 20%. So how do we begin to look at our, our demographics? We have almost uh, over 900 teachers in our district, and they're white female. There's nothing wrong with that. I applaud my, my white brothers and sisters for being in education. But however, we still have to give them the tools and resources to be successful. And one of the things I can see for me professionally being at the different institutions in the different cities that I've lived in is that we have to give them some diversity and cultural competency training. And I think that is going to be the key because they can't understand cultural competencies till they understand the diversity that they're bringing and how that impacts them on a day-to-day basis. And then once they get a sense of who they are and understand other cultures, then they can become cultural competent. And then they can look at how do they become more responsive in their teaching, in their delivery, in their support. That's really, so if I had to take all of my whole journey, I think my whole life journey has prepared me here now I'm talking with you <laughs> totally. You know, that aha reflection moment has prepared me to be able to talk to our teachers in a, in a way that doesn't say point the finger. No, I'm, we're not here to point the finger. When I have my white colleagues in, um, in front of students that look just like me, and I have a daughter in the district, it's 
It's my responsibility to roll up my sleeves alongside of them so they can be successful. I don't want to keep saying you don't have classroom management. It's not about that. It's about learning and creating that that enriched environment where we can take our mindsets and be innovative and creative about all the diversity, all those voices that's in our school district. And one thing about Peoria Public School, I have to give Dr. Sharon Karat thumbs up. I call her my Madam Superintendent because she wants her staff, her students to be innovative, to be creative. Um, she doesn't want our students to be known just as test scores, but as um, or just a, a body of unique um, opportunities for diversity to, to take our district to greater heights. And Dr. Crowd is right on, um, she's right on spot on with that. And she wants to help diversify our district. She recognizes it. She wants to change the landscape of Peoria Public School District. But she's going to need the community. She's going to need her, all of us, because there's 2,600 employees along with her as our fierce leader out there to, to help guide and move her vis- the vision forward. And that is to be innovative, to hear from all voices. It's not perfect, and she knows that. But the bottom line is we got to begin somewhere. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, no, that's fine. I, I, one of the things I appreciate in terms of their, um, how you've approached this, you do it in a very holistic or comprehensive manner, and you're very analytical in, in terms of, of trying to, uh, to uh, basically describe the landscape uh, and then also going in and, and acquiring data that helps you to make data-driven decisions. I know you've done uh, uh, a lot of research relative to uh, not only your dissertation, but also in the position that you have at Peoria Public Schools. Um, uh, here uh, at, the, at, at the close of our podcast, um, I want to just turn this over to you, Ms. Williams, to kind of talk about uh, some of those things perhaps that we haven't discussed or some of those things that you've, uh, uh, you've discovered in, in your research or in your experiences. Um, in terms of my role as the HR recruiter, um, to hiring the best and the brightest, and also to retain them. When I'm out recruiting Dr. Cantu, uh, I want our, our new teachers and those that are seasoned, I, I'm honest and upfront and transparent. And I explain to them why we need them and why we need to strengthen this pipeline. And one of the things that we haven't talked about, Dr. Cantu, is how do we get students going into education? Right. right now, this this whole, I'm talking about this pipeline, but there is a major teacher shortage, not just in the state of Illinois, but in every state. Some states may be feeling a little bit more than others, but we're definitely all experiencing a teacher shortage. So I'm going to say this. We have to invest in our teachers. We have to, to provide them with all the tools in their toolboxes to be successful. We can recruit them. Now we need to retain them. What things do we need to look at internally? So right now I've been looking on the data to try to recruit, which we've increased those numbers. Now the next focus, Dr. Cantu, I know we got to end this, is to retain them. And looking at professional development, looking at diversity, cultural responsibility, um, Teaching for new teachers right. coming on board, partnering with Bradley. We've definitely started partnering even more, looking outside the box. How do we support uh, Peoria Public School students coming to Bradley, majoring in teaching, and how do we get, create those opportunities for students? So I'm going to say that in closing. We have, and one of the things I'm going to say Dr. Crott has done, uh, we've created a teacher pathway along with her, her leadership team prior to me coming on board. I'm kind of championing it with her. And so any student, 
going on to Bradley, ISU, anywhere um, for a four-year institution and, become, and going into teaching. Dr. Karat has committed along with my, that they will have a job. We were, we're going to provide letters of commitment to all of our students wanting to go into teaching. The goal is that they will have a job in Peoria Public School District. So if they go to Western, Bradley, any institution, they can come back here. We're guaranteeing them employment in our, in our district. That's outstanding. That's different. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and, and you talk about that, too, and it really is. Uh, it, it's not a, a cliche to say that while this it, the teacher shortage presents us with a challenge, it also presents us with an opportunity, an opportunity to think outside of the box and try alternative ways of, of increasing that pipeline uh, and, and having more representation across the demographics uh, in terms of individuals considering teaching uh, and going into uh, to this profession, which we all know is a noble profession, and it breaks our hearts to see the numbers uh, come in in terms of the uh, the decrease in the number of, uh, of individuals considering and going into teacher preparation programs. As you said, it's not just Illinois, it's across the nation. But what we will need to do, and, and that's what Dr. Cride and her wonderful leadership um, and others, other superintendents, are talking with our state legislator, because that's key to look at alternative ways to, to remedy this. Uh, so with Caterpillars doing a layoff, how do we keep those engineers and scientists here and going into teaching? We need to look at alternative routes. One of the things we've done in a nutshell, we've cast our nets out to international pool. We look, we've done a, a press release in Puerto Rico um, recently, and we've uh, been able to recruit some um, teacher applicants from there. Uh, Dr. Kratis, we've gone to the Dominican Republic to Jamaica, the Virgin Islands. Right now, I've been on a major recruiting outside the state. Um, I've been to North Carolina, uh, A&T State University, Jackson State University. Now I'm going to Virginia State University. And the reason why I'm going there, they produce black male teachers. So we know we're going to get the females there. The main thing is to go and begin to build relationships with the College of Education, as well as the Career Services Department, right. and all of these um, in the state, as well as outside the state to increase um, the awareness that we have a need and we want to bring diversity to our school district as well as being able to hire the best and the brightest to work with our kids. Absolutely. That's spot on. Yeah. Well, again, uh, I want to thank uh, Ms. Janine uh, Williams, a human resource recruiter for Peoria Public Schools, for joining us today. Uh, and I want to thank you listeners for joining us for uh, the April edition of Future Insight. Thank you, Ms. Williams. Thank you so much, Dr. Cantu.